politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Paul Revere's to the Conservative Review podcast. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house here at Blaze TV on Wednesday, May the 13th. It is not Friday the 13th. It is an entire month or two months of horror, um, as if every day is Friday the 13th. Um, but it is Wednesday the 13th, midweek here. Lots to talk about. We're going to do a roundup of all different things, both viral science, math, um, legislative stuff, all the stuff you guys need to know. It's it's low. The progress is very slow. But we are making progress. The truth is getting out, and that's why the other side is getting more um, virulent in their views. That is why they are trying to shut people down. Isn't it funny how whenever we see something we disagree with, we will vigorously debate it. It never crosses our mind like, hey, let's shut them down. You're not allowed to say that. Kind of funny how uh, lack of um, how much diffidence the left has in the veracity of their own views. But James Madison said in 1822, quote, a popular government without popular information or the means of acquiring it is but a prologue to a farce or a tragedy, or perhaps both. Knowledge will forever govern ignorance, and a people who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power which knowledge gives. Self-governance requires self-knowledge, and we got to get that out. Knowledge is power, and that's the thing. The truth behind our rights, our laws, the bogus science behind lockdown, and what they want to do with it, the bogus information behind the legislation that Congress has already passed and continues to pass. The powers that the president and the Republicans have that they're not using. As I've noted, Republicans have, they are sitting on a lot of power. Oh, Nancy Pelosi controls the House. Yeah, but Trump has the veto pen and they control the Senate. They control a lot of states. There's no reason for this. Yet we have a situation where we are confronted with the worst degree of tyranny we have ever faced on this continent. An unimaginable fiscal, economic, mental health crisis, education crisis, induced by what our government has shockingly done to us, based on zero science. And we don't have a political party that is speaking to this. We don't have members of Congress. I mean, aside from a handful, Thomas Massey, Chip Roy, Andy Biggs, that's it. No, well, what are, what are the senators doing? Where are they? Where are they using their bully pulpits? Where is the president using his bully pulpit? Oh, whoops, I forgot. His top spokesman on this issue, Fauci, is pushing Bernie Sanders' agenda. So by now, many of you have seen clips from that hearing at the Senate Health and Education Committee yesterday. Late last night, Liz Cheney, the number three ranking Republican in the House, the conference chair, she puts out on Twitter, Dr. Fauci is one of the finest public servants we have ever had. He is not a partisan. No, no, no. His only interest is saving lives. We need his expertise and his judgment to defeat this virus. All Americans should be thanking him every single day. 
I'm not kidding you. Now, Liz Cheney is the embodiment of a swamp, pathetic Republican politician for which the voters in the Republican Party chose Trump to vanquish and banish from the party. And instead, these people are elevated and more powerful now under Trump than ever before. What is going on there? Every Republican, almost without exception, is like that. Everyone's all happy. All this Republican flipped the Democrat seat in California last night. The guy sucks. He's a pro-amnesty open borders guy. What, you think he'll fight for us? If you think that the Republican Party is the answer, I got a wet market to sell you in Wuhan. Okay? The sooner we realize that, the sooner we'll heal and come to a solution. But this is a very big problem. So let's start off with some legislative news. Some of you might have seen yesterday, Nancy Pelosi introduced a $3 trillion bill. And of course, it contains, you know, what, what is it, like $750 billion in bailouts for the states that destroyed the country and infringed upon our liberties, destroyed li- lifelong dreams of small businesses. So you had that. You have a bunch of different bailouts for like mortgages. I mean, it's it's straight up Venezuela. Everything Bernie Sanders ever wanted to do is in that bill. Republicans are going to oppose this, right? Well, Mitch McConnell said it's dead on arrival, right? Come on, Daniel. I mean, it's got to be they're going to oppose it. I mean, don't don't tell me that somehow Republicans are going to agree to this. Well, folks, I got news for you. Republicans have already done this several times, and including the first $3 trillion bill. They're going to repeat the same thing, and it's already starting. Let me unpack this. Those of you who are graduates of our advanced degree here, our advanced courses, already get this principle, but we'll, we'll say it again. It's one of Daniel's principles. And that is, whenever we have a civilization fight and Democrats misdiagnose the problem, they cause the problem, they exacerbate the problem, and then they dress up as firefighters to propose the solution, which will, of course, make it worse and achieve all of the unconstitutional, progressive, socialist, tyrannical ends that they've always wanted to achieve. Republicans come in, and and what the Democrats do, so first you have to start with the Democrats, and then then you come to the Republican response. And you have to understand that Democrats understand the psychology of Republicans and phony conservative organizations and what they focus on, and then they plot accordingly. See, somebody is playing the art of the deal. It's just not Donald Trump. It's the Democrats. One of the principles that Trump speaks about an art of the deal that he has never employed in a single one of these legislative fights, but the Democrats do every time, is you always ask for more than you think you're going to get or you even want to get. So hence, you know, what you see is the Democrats asked for $500 um, billion in state bailouts. So what they did is they started off negotiation with $750 billion plus, you know, another... trillion of all sorts of other stuff, and then all these extraneous provisions, you know, like election stuff with the ballots and, you know, the election cheating and things like that. They do that by design. 
that they know that the Republican reaction is not going to be, USOBs, you caused this. You exacerbated it. You're funding and stimulating a shutdown, a lockdown, a depression. No, we're going to reopen our country. We're going to condition any new funding, which is going to be much smaller, to being targeted to reparations for just those that were shut down, not welfare for everyone. And even any any of that funding is going to be conditioned to our exercising of the 14th Amendment to permanently end the ill-gotten powers of governors and county officials to violate the Bill of Rights. And by the way, no funding for anyone who lets out illegal aliens and criminals from prison. And by the way, what a real stimulus would look like is rather than inducing and stimulating a shutdown and having trillions of dollars in debt into a black hole, we'll at least use it for tax cuts and regulatory moratoriums to spawn a great investment in in America for the next year or two. That's what a bold contrast would look like. That's, That's what it means to oppose the Democrats. Do you hear Republicans saying anything of what I'm saying? No. What you hear them saying is what they did last time, which is you cut around the edges and focus on the extraneous provisions that don't even speak to the underlying corona fascism, corona depression, corona dependency, and socialism. It'll be like they'll want transgender funding in there. They'll want election fraud, which, you know, that's the one thing Republicans have to fight because that will affect their jobs and they can't get elected. So they can't have the mail-in ballots in all the states, at least the non-blue states. The contentious uh, states, they can't have it. So Democrats know Republicans will fight that. But what they do is they know that they're going to expend the Republican energy by fighting the extraneous provisions that have nothing to even do with the issue at hand, which is why they put it in there, by the way. Then once you get to the turkey, not the cranberry sauce and the pecan pie, pecan pie, as some say, you get to the turkey they will give you the entire turkey. And you will actually look very magnanimous and look like you were compromising. And look, you know, we got rid of a lot of provisions. We gave Republicans a lot of what they wanted. That's what happened on the last bill. All these thumbsucker, loser, conservative, ink, professional DC class. Oh, look at that. Could you imagine they stuck $30 million in the bill for the Kennedy Center? And I was like, you idiots. That's not the issue. You spent all your political capital on the $30 million for the Kennedy Center. The folks, the issue is the $3 trillion to permanently make every American dependent, to induce more unemployment by paying more people not to work than to work, by incentivizing, fueling, and legitimizing a shutdown rather than cutting it off after the first two weeks, which they could have done, and permanently creating a monopoly for large corporations in bed with government and destroying small business. I want to get to that in a minute. That was the problem with the bill. That's what people like Thomas Massey said. But that's what McConnell and McCarthy and Trump and everyone in between and on down promoted. Oh, just don't have funding for the Kennedy Center. Folks, I would rather give trade the Democrats any day of the week a gold-plated Taj Mahal Kennedy Center, however you much we want to spend on it, not to have the $3 trillion in other spending, dependency, market distortions, 
and the lockdown that it legitimized and fueled and perpetuated. That is what it means to have a Republican Party. That's what we didn't have. So when McConnell says it's dead on arrival, it means those exact spending bills and those exact provisions, that bill as written will not be voted on the House. But over the next week or two or maybe three, they will negotiate behind closed doors. Democrats stake down their ground. They asked much more than they wanted. That's their opening bid. And they will likely get five to $700 billion for state bailouts with zero strings attached. And even a lot of the individual stimulus where they want to send checks to people. And, and again, the first step to believing Republicans that they're actually going to fight is for them to admit and recognize the mistakes they made in the first round. Do you know how much money we flushed on sending, just indiscriminately mailing out free money to where it wasn't even needed? Again, thank God, I'm thankful every day. I have not been cut back yet. So I have not lost a penny from the shutdown. But I was mailed a $3,900 or whatever, direct deposit, $3,900, $1,200 per adult and, and $500 per kid. Heck, had I had my fourth kid earlier, I would have had another $500. Which is just, look, I'll take it. I donated a good amount of it to charity. Local, um, we have a, a local private um, EMT rescue um, that comes quicker than 911. And uh, donated to them, a couple other groups. But, dude, I mean, there's no reason for that. We didn't give reparations for those we shut down. We paid off big business. Then all the market distortions of the $2 trillion in the manipulation, the monetary manipulation with the zero interest rates and the quantitative easing sort of things and the twisting and everything they're doing with their balance sheet is all for the big, big industries and big conglomerates at the expense of small business, at the expense of seniors retiring and savers. And we're left with nothing. We're left with absolutely nothing. They mailed out checks to foreign nationals when they said they wouldn't do it. They even mailed out, the Washington Post had an article on this, to divorced families. So let's say they have joint custody for 14-year-old Timothy. Well, they got two $500 checks. Each, each household got, two, got, got a check. Just indiscriminately threw money at people. They gave so much money at the states, the same states that say, oh, they need so much funding at a time when we have the nursing home people dying. They have in my county, I don't know if, if, if in every place they did this, but I know in Maryland, they're offering three free meals a day. An abundance of food like the Thanksgiving feast. And it's not even means tested. I don't know how all these people have time to line up for that stuff, what they do for, for a living. They have a job or are trying to look for a job, but people are keep texting me, hey, uh, you know, my neighborhood, hey, uh, do you want, um, we have so much leftover food. We had a supermarket here that literally was out of an entire brand of milk that we usually get. And I was like, 
damn, I've never seen that. Did the supply chain fall apart on on you know with milk as well? I didn't think it did. And then I found out, no, it was all being diverted to these mass soup kitchens at the schools that are giving out meals to everyone in the entire county. Rather than being in the stores. And I said to myself, that's a perfect, perfect illustration of where we're headed and what Republicans did by signing on to that bill that we, we can't even begin to imagine the way it will fundamentally alter our relationship with government, our freedoms. In that we're now at a point where you almost can't shop around with dignity for a reasonable price and purchase items on your own volition. But so they, they, they siphon it off and then now you got to go to the soup kitchen and wait online for your free food. That's what they always wanted to make America into. And that's what they got. That's what healthcare has turned into post Obamacare. This bill will do that to everyone, to every industry. It's truly, truly sad what is taking place in our society. And Republicans did this. Trump negotiated it. He had Mnuchin negotiate it. It wasn't just like reluctantly signing the bill. He beat the hell out of Thomas Massey for trying to take a principled stance against it. I mean, again, how am I supposed to overlook this? This guy needs massive amounts of pressure from his base. Right now. What Fauci is to lockdown, Mnuchin is to fiscal policy. A.K.A. the same as Bernie Sanders, as the Democrats. This is extremely dangerous. This is what I want to be a voice for. The forgotten American. It's not even a matter of conservative anymore. Maybe I should rebrand the name of the show. There's nothing even conservative about this. We should all agree with this. Who is representing the American man? When I say man, I mean mankind, woman, child, family. Who doesn't want to hand out, doesn't want a special interest, doesn't want government to get in his way, overtax, overregulate, restrict him, take away his liberties. Simply wants our government to leave us alone so we could purchase things in a fair market at a fair price, whether it's healthcare, whether it's food, whether it's other products and, and services that the ingenuity, ingenuity of all Americans have to offer, like the America we knew and loved, keeping a safety net just for those who need it, and simply focusing on keeping us safe from foreign invaders, national security, and lock-up criminals. Is that too much to ask? I mean, is there something right-wing about that? Who is representing those Americans? Because I sure don't see it. We need a party and a movement that speaks to that. We currently don't have one. And again, if you think the Republicans are that movement, you're hiding under a rock. But anyway, if you think that Republicans aren't going to go along with this, I got news for you. Mnuchin is the guy negotiating everything. It's Mnuchin and Pelosi, and they agree on everything. Okay, I want to introduce you to something he said on Monday on Squawk Box the CNBC program with uh, 
who's that host? Um, oh yeah, uh, Jim Cramer. One of the reasons I do feel comfortable with us spending all this money is because interest rates are very low and we're taking advantage of long-term rates. Between 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, we're borrowing an awful lot of money long-term so that we can lock in this $3 trillion for a very, very long period of time. <laughs> he sounds like a used car salesman. So he, he has no problem with this. He has no problem with this. If you think this is the end of it, Oh, but McConnell said we've had enough. Folks, he literally said that before the last round, and then he wound up doing it. Mnuchin, Mnuchin calls the shots. And look, as much as I can't stand McConnell, I think there is a little bit of genuine um, outrage in him, but he, he, it's not like McConnell's going to lie down on the tracks and block you know, Pelosi and Mnuchin. But isn't that tragic that we elected a president whose chief negotiators in the cabinet are to the left of Mitch McConnell? In other words, so many people voted for Trump because they were sick of the McConnell, Ryan, McCarthy mentality of the GOP. And now this has come so full circle and is so perfidious and Orwellian that, I mean, this guy's more Jeb Bush than Jeb Bush. And what are the results? What are the results and the devastation of this insane degree of fiscal and monetary policy of just throwing money at our economy indiscriminately? What happens when you do that? Every once in a while, the Washington Post has some good articles. Small business used to define America's economy. The pandemic could change that forever. Now, the only thing I would tweak is their title is wrong. It's not the pandemic. It's our response to it and what we did legislatively. Economists project that more than 100,000 small businesses have shut permanently since the pandemic escalated in March, according to a study by researchers at the University of Illinois, Harvard Business School, Harvard University, and the University of Chicago. Their latest data suggests at least 2% of small businesses are gone and, and, and folks, we're just getting started. The carnage is even worse than the restaurant industry. And there's a very interesting line here that I think is vitally important. Vitally important. There's one paragraph here I want you guys to hear. For all these people that say, oh, they're for the little guy, that socialism and debt and bankruptcy and market distortions and heavy-handed big government is to help you. No, no, no. Oh, and these are the very same people that complain about inequality and income inequality. Oh, they're such good people. The result is likely to further shift the balance of power and jobs toward big businesses that have a better chance of surviving the uncertain year ahead by borrowing money or drawing on the large cash reserves. Emergency actions by the Federal Reserve backed by the Treasury have made borrowing money almost free for large companies. There you go. Those that have the capital and economies of scale could take advantage of that. This is an utter joke this is an utter joke 
In the 1980s and 1990s, small businesses employed over half of American workers, but that dynamic has shifted over time. By 2017, only 47% of private sector employees were at small businesses, and the pandemic appears to be reducing that again. And again, I'm not, you know, I'm not about nostalgia. If the free market and ingenuity dictates and efficiencies dictate that things are headed towards big companies, then fine. But that's not what is happening. It's government and venture socialism and market distortions that are doing that. It's the same thing we've seen in healthcare our entire life, but really accelerating with Obamacare. Through the regulatory subsidy, Medicare, Medicaid, you know, system, it created artificial monopolies. And now the mergers and acquisitions that are destroying that there's no such thing as private practice anymore. You can't deal with the regulatory scheme. You don't have the economies of scale. And then once you have it, it's just a a snowball effect. And you can never, it's it's an avalanche. You can't fight against that. Once you have a little bit of it, then um, that's it. I mean, when you can't beat him, join him. You got to, if you're a doctor, you got to work for for MedStar, you know, one of these big uh, conglomerates. It's the same thing we saw in banking. After the bank bailouts in 2008, it destroyed the concept of community banks because all the fiscal and monetary explosion of money is tailored to work for the business model of large corporations. Similar thing we've seen over the years with um, with uh, farming. Farming is a huge one. You know, they're always like, oh man, you know, we got to pass these bills for... Joe the farmer, um, you know, he, we, we really care. You know, there's a lot of emotion behind family farms. No, no. They have actually harmed family farms. They have harmed family farms. They have created monopolies. We're, we're at a point in this country, thanks to these farm bills over the last 10, 20 years, that, there are good, that, that farming is going to be like healthcare where you have like five insurers and five hospital conglomerates. Same thing with farmers. It's the same thing. That's why ten, the top 10% of farms receive 68% of subsidies. Isn't it funny how the left and the socialists hate income inequality when it's, it's natural. It's just natural. One guy worked and you know was successful. Another guy maybe didn't work as hard, or even if he did, I mean, it just, you know, life is life. And they blame it on all this income inequality. But yet when government uses the boot of theft to steal money and arbitrarily make laws that are unconstitutional, and that creates subsidy inequality, they don't like income inequality legitimately earned, but they love themselves some subsidy inequality. Top 10% of farms receive 68% of subsidies. of all subsidies go to just six, I believe, six crops that account for 27% of the output value of all farming. You know, things like corn, obviously, soybeans, peanuts, a few more. Again, 27% of farming output, 94% of subsidies. And what that did is that it created this artificial monopoly of big 
they, they, a lot of them are owned in Manhattan. They're not in, in owned in Kansas. They're these big companies. So now it's created massive land depreciation. The subsidies distort created asset bubbles now, so people can't afford them. So 54% of all cropland, according to USDA, is rented, not owned. And that's more pronounced with the crops that receive the most subsidies. So now all these bills aren't even farm subsidies. They're actually landowner subsidies. I, I go into farming to just give you one example of what we could only begin to imagine and wrap our brain around. Six trillion worth of already fiscal and monetary policy thrown at large industries. What sort of effect you're going to see in every single area of our economy and our lives. And yet Trump and Republicans went along with Pelosi every iota of this. Oh no, Daniel, they took out um, the provision on elections. But yeah, but that, that has nothing to do with this. See the brilliance of the Democrat strategy? So that's what they're going to do here as well. Anyway, that's that's the latest on the fiscal stuff, the legislative stuff. We'll get back to that. Um, but I want to go back to the virus stuff. So I have a long article out, a definitive case why it's indefensible to shut schools. And now Fauci and the lockdown left, the lockdown fascists, are now insinuating that even the fall, the opening of schools in the fall, is on the chopping block, and certainly opening of universities might not open. Folks, the French, this is from BFM TV, it's a French outlet. French study by a team of pediatricians confirmed that children are not carriers of the coronavirus and are not very contagious. When they catch it, it is most often by an infected adult, a disease of adults. For Robert Cohen, pediatrician and infectiologist at the Critel Hospital, coronavirus and childhood have only a few hooked atoms. And by the way, I'm just reading an English translation, so the wording might be a little choppy. Asked about BFM TV, the specialist delivered this Tuesday the first results of a study conducted by pediatricians to measure the place of children in the spread of the coronavirus epidemic. According to him, the risk of the disease in children is, quote, extremely low. We can say a thousand times lower than in adults. Children are not very carriers. Again, the grammar is off. Not very transmitters. And when they are contaminated, it is almost always adults in the family who have contaminated them. These results completely confirm the entire scientific literature on the subject. Um, and there you go. If the epidemic starts again, it is not by schools, but by adults. The French, the French are saying this. So now we have Iceland, France, Netherlands, Denmark, Israel, Australia, Switzerland, Germany, Norway. Yet, this Republican administration is to the left of all those countries. And Trump's out there trashing Sweden. Are you kidding me? 174 people died. No, 174 children died of the flu this season. Only about 10 children supposedly died, if we can even trust that, of COVID under 14. CDC itself has said many times the risk is significantly lower um, than the flu. 
um, a comprehensive study done of almost all children in PICUs from COVID by JAMA pedi pediatricians um, came to the conclusion, JAMA pediatrics, quote, children are at far greater risk of critical illness from influenza than from COVID-19. So that's what we're doing now. Now we created this expectation that even for such a low threshold, things that we used to never even know were in the news are now the new pretext to promote this. And you know what you're going to have? Come the fall, the next flu season, guess what? That's going to, if it's not COVID, then the flu itself is going to be the new pretext. Because a lot more kids die from that. If you actually had media paying attention to it and making it a virtue signaling that this engenders a shutdown, you'd have the same problem. I dug up two CNN articles from January where they talk about record number of children dying of the flu. But again, most people didn't see this. And they quoted doctors in New York City that were saying that they have children on life support. This was in early January. Life support from the flu. And they weren't even immunocompromised. Whereas even the few that they find who died from COVID, everyone to a person had very serious conditions. Which again, you could easily target that because it's such a tiny percentage of children that have that relative to like 70 year olds who have it. So, you know, it doesn't, it's stupid to shut down the schools. I mean, you just deal with those kids and maybe they don't come to school. You could have some sort of video for them of the classroom. But this is where we're at now. And yet we don't have any forceful pushback. And if anything, everything out of this administration is pushing the other way. And I have all these Republicans. And then there's the bubble baby issue. Who's to say that so many more of these deaths and problems that we're going to see aren't from the lockdown, not from the virus? What does it do to a generation of children to unnaturally lock them down sterilely for two months or perhaps more? LA is saying they're extending it for three months. There's almost nothing going on there. I predict we're going to have viral and bacterial problems from compromised, artificially compromised immune systems for years to come, and they're going to use that as a pretext to push lockdown when lockdown itself, under circular logic, was ironically what engendered it. This is the extent of the forces of evil and darkness that we're up against in this wretched political class. Truly disgusting. We need a new party. We need a new movement. It's that simple. It is that simple. Unbelievable. And then we have the Dutch. The Dutch have a serology test. I, I've pointed to this before. It's from April. I said it before, but I'll say it again. They broke down the age cohorts. They estimated the infection fatality rate. 
if you ask, ask, here's a test. Ask your friend, neighbor, family member, anyone you know, what do you think is the fatality rate overall? Right? I mean, they'll think it's at least what the World Health Organization said, which is 3.4. If you look at the known cases and divide it by the deaths, in some places like New York, it's 8%. Right? And in addition to the macro number, there's no sense of precision to try to stratify the data and more precisely target where the problem is. We're employing a homogeneous problem to deal with a homogeneous solution to deal with a heterogeneous, very lopsided and very targeted problem. So like there's no, everyone's like, it's full panic porn. Everyone under any circumstance is all going to die. That, that's the message that has gone out to the public. And so much so that we're seeing so many people not come in for, for very critical medical care. And, and likely so many more people are dying as a result of that. Some of it's because of certain procedures were downright legally shut down. But others, it's because of the panic porn. Because our government is not putting out the right data and making it known like, hey, in some cases are very serious, for some people serious. But for you guys, here's your risk assessment. So they don't have, they only have the data because it's from plasma donors from 20 to 70 years old from the Netherlands. Okay? They only have the data for them. So I don't have above 70. It is going to be higher. But let's start with the highest cohort, people in their 60s, 60 to 69. So that's already elevated risk. Even that is below 0.5, How many people know that? How many people know that? You step down to the 50s, people in their 50s, it gets to 0.1, one-fourth of that. Steep gradient there. And likewise, I would bet in the 70s, isn't the steep gradient? It's probably 1.5 or something. But like... You don't even get to the 3.5 of the WHO likely till people over 85. That, that's a big thing. We need to know that. People above the life expectancy. We need to know that. Then you get to people in their 40s. It's an entire decimal over. 0.014. Okay? 0.014. So where is 0.1? is roughly one in a thousand. For people in their 40s, it's roughly one in 10,000. Then you go to those in their 30s, it's an entire new decimal over. And it's 0.007%. Okay, so that's more like in the ballpark of one in 100,000. And then for those in the 20s, it's slightly lower, 0.004. And then they don't have under 20, but there it's literally zero. So you don't even get to the 0.1 benchmark of the macro flu fatality until the 50s. Now, Daniel, you might say, well, Daniel, this is the Netherlands. Well, folks, the Netherlands, actually, if you look at their fatality rate per capita, is 30% higher than the U.S. So again, keep in mind that 
If anything, they have a higher fatality rate, and we're seeing those numbers. And remember, even the American numbers, I, I so so now you might think, wow, Daniel, this is remarkably low, right? But I'm here to tell you it's much, it's exponentially lower than that. Because remember, all they're doing is taking the likely denominator. If you extrapolate how many people we know from uh, serology surveys, plasma donors, blood tests likely have it. And then you take all of the numerator, meaning all of the deaths at that age cohort and divide it by the likely denominator you got for that age based on the serology tests. Okay? So in other words, let's say you had, I'm just saying, you had 20 deaths for people in their 40s and you had, um, you know, whatever, you know, you you, you think likely 50,000 people in their 40s got it, so you divide 10 by 50,000. But here's the deal. That 10 is lopsided. Almost to a person, 9 out of 10. Sometimes 99 out of 100 in some states are three or four known underlying conditions. So let's say you don't have those conditions. Then those numbers are dramatically lower. Because then rather than 10 in 50,000, it would be 1 in 50,000. You see, we're putting the entire denominator into one age stratified bracket, but if what if you accounted for age and health status, which is more important in the context of what we know the virus attacks, then it's a different ball game, different ball game altogether. And again, just understand that 54% of all deaths in America are within 100 miles of New York City. And then the remaining 50% are in nursing homes. So you take, I mean, so really, if you start playing around with that numerator for your average person, if you want to know, okay, what's my risk outside of New York, outside of a nursing home, that's one number. Now, what you, what's your age? What's your health status? There is no way our government does not have that information. And if they don't, that's even more criminal that we threw tens of billions of dollars at them and they don't have it. They should have a simple table like this Dutch table, a little bit more just detail. They should have health status too. And we should all know. And and we could more efficiently target our mitigation based on that while not destroying everyone's lives and actually saving more COVID lives, much less net lives from everything else. Why isn't anyone demanding that? Because you know what? If they put that out, it would be a national scandal. What you would likely see. And that's accounting for what we talked about the last couple of days, the overly inflated coding of COVID deaths. So that's with that. Anyway, I got to run. I, I, like, like every day, I feel bad. I left so much more information on the table. You'll have to look at my Twitter account, at Conservative. Sign up for our Facebook a private page, Minutemen Speak Easy. Uh, we'll uh, invite you through email. Um, again, you want to keep the lights going on at Blaze TV, go to blazetv.com forward slash CR, promo code Daniel to get 30 bucks off. In other words, $69 for an entire year of truth. An entire year of truth production. Only two more days to the sale, so make sure to utilize that. Again, as James Madison said, Popular government without popular information or the means of acquiring it is but a prologue 
to a farce or a tragedy or perhaps both. Knowledge will forever govern ignorance. And a people who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power which knowledge gives. And that's why I need you guys to arm us so we could arm you with the facts. Until tomorrow, thank you all for listening. God bless, stay safe, and stay free. Stay free.